Ruth chapter 3. One day her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, My dear daughter, isn't it about time I arranged a good home for you so that you can have a happy life? And isn't Boaz our close relative, the one with whose young women you've been working? Maybe it's time to make our move. Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. Take a bath, put on some perfume, get all dressed up and go to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until the party is well underway and he's had plenty of food and drink. When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down and then go there. Lie at his feet to let him know that you are available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth said, if you say so, I'll do it just as you've told me to. She went down to the threshing floor and put her mother-in-law's plan into action. Boaz had a good time eating and drinking his fill. He felt great. Then he went off to get some sleep, lying down at the end of the stack of barley. Ruth quietly followed. She lay down to signal her availability for marriage. In the middle of the night, the man was suddenly startled and sat up. Surprise! This woman asleep at his feet? He said, and who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wing. You're my close relative, you know, in the circle of covenant redeemers. You do have the right to marry me. He said, God bless you, my dear daughter. What a splendid expression of love. And when you could have had your pick of any young men around. And now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are, a real prize. You're right. I am a close relative to you. But there is one even closer than I am. So stay the rest of the night. In the morning, if he wants to exercise his customary right and responsibility as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if he isn't interested, as God lives, I will do it. Now go back to sleep until morning. Ruth slept at his feet until dawn, but she got up while it was still dark so she wouldn't be recognized. Then Boaz said to himself, no one must know that Ruth came tonight to the threshing floor. So Boaz said, bring the shawl that you're wearing and spread it out. She spread it out and poured it full of barley, six measures, and put it on her shoulders. Then she went back to town. When she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did things go, my dear daughter? Ruth told her everything that the man had done for her, adding, and he gave me all the barley besides six quarts, and he told me, you can't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi said, sit back and relax, my dear daughter, until we find out how things turn out. That man isn't going to fool around. Mark my word, he's going to get everything wrapped up and settled today. There's many choices that you make in life, and we're handed all kinds of decisions daily that we're given to make. I really believe that the second most important decision that you make, if this is the one that God 
takes you down in the path that you go down. Outside of salvation itself, I personally believe that the next decision that's the most important is who should you marry? I really believe like that decision added on top of salvation affects everything. I do understand this, that not everyone has been called to be married, so there's many decisions, even that decision. Maybe God has called you to singleness. That's the greatest decision, I think, outside of salvation, knowing the path that you'll go on, whether you go by yourself with some friends or whether you go being married to a man or woman. But the decision for marriage is often one that's rushed. It's often one that's not well thought through. It's often one that's made too quickly. It's often one that's made where an individual will settle thinking this is the best choice available. I suspect if you were able to, to go across this auditorium and go into the link, I suppose there would be people out there who would tell you this, who have a relationship with Jesus and who are married, they would say, there's no rush in this decision. Make sure you prayed it through. Make sure you know this is what God wants you to do. Make this decision and make it in such a way that you know it lines up with God. There's great risk when you take this part of your life and say, I want to spend my life with you. When you put yourself out there and say, you know what, I'm interested in you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But there's also great reward to those kind of risks that we make. All kinds of decisions come across our, our lives every day. I mean, the difference between whether I should wear a pair of Adidas or whether I should get a job here. There's a difference in the weight of those decisions. There's a difference in what kind of hamburger you'll eat or even what color should my hair be today. There's a difference in those decisions. There's a difference in should I commit this felony or what color crayon will I use to help my child color in his coloring book. Different weight to different decisions. And this decision, marriage, is outside of salvation, is the most important decision I think there is to make. Today we're jumping in. We're jumping into this love story. And so as we jump into this story, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. Sometimes we jump in and we want to get to the Hebrew and we want to just go through every, every pronoun and noun and we want to get the nuance of every verb. This is a love story. And if we were able to kind of just put background music to this story, it'd be, it'd be woman meets man, and, and woman is showing interest in man, and, and man says, wow, maybe a T-Swift song would be playing in the background. There would be, there'd be this music that's playing, and, and this sense of where this woman recognizing that that's a good catch for her. Not only does she recognize it, but her mother-in-law recognizes it. And so mother-in-law was trying to say, hey, Ruth, this is the person. This is the person you need to marry. This decision is the one that you need to make. However, great risk does lead to great reward. And we must do whatever it takes to get it right. Let's jump into this love story. Turn to Ruth chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, hold your hands up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. We are jumping in. It's you know the background. You heard John and Rich the last couple of weeks. I won't fill you with that background. And, and you know that, that, that Ruth is, 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 is the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and she sees Boaz, and Naomi's about to tell her, hey, that's a good catch. Go after that man. Ruth chapter 3, I want you to read verses 1 to 6 with me. 
Would you stand with me? We're going to read that together. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Let's read this love story uh, together. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Read this one. We ready? Read. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. You may have a seat. Naomi realizes, and we're going to give some background here because it's very significant, that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. That's a big word used in the Old Testament. God is our kinsman redeemer. God is able to take our lives that are messed up and redeem them. And praise the Lord for that. He's able to be our redeemer. But in the Old Testament, there was this, this relative who could be your kinsman redeemer. And so Naomi realizes, in fact, if you look back in chapter 2 and verse 20, Naomi, who was once mar, bitter, is now alive. She was kind of empty. She's alive now because now she realizes there's a man out there. He's a good man. He's a man of good standing, chapter 2 and verse 1 says. And not only that, he's a relative of ours. And he's look, she's looking at Ruth and saying, now God has finally come through and you can get married and, and you need to go after him, girl. That's what the small, short, and sweet version is. So she devises this plan. You need to go. And you need to, to, to lie down at his feet. And it sounds kind of strange to us. And I'll unfold what that means today. But she recognized he's a kinsman redeemer. So what is a kinsman redeemer? Well, turn it back to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I'm going to show you what a kinsman redeemer is. And what their responsibility is. Because they're finding out that he's a close relative. Now, he's not the brother of Malon. But he's the closest relative, and there's a chance that because of him being a relative, he can redeem the situation. Look at chapter 25, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 10, and we're going to see exactly what a kinsman redeemer is. Look at Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Vitigus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 25.5 says this, If brothers are living together, and one of them dies without a son... His widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead what? Brother. So that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, it says, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I don't want to marry her. His brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, 
This is what's done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the what? Unsandaled. Now, just, just, just modern, just bring this out. It's pictured. Just imagine. You're the lady. Your husband dies. Now, by the way, this changes who you marry, by the way. Not only when you're getting married, you're checking out all the brothers. Like, nope, not happening. <laughs> There's no way I want him. And so the brother laws come into play here. And so when, in fact, you see this unfolding, your husband dies, his brother is supposed to step in. He's the kinsman redeemer. He's supposed to redeem the situation. But if he doesn't, you're supposed to go to the town gate, and you're supposed to look in his face, and you're supposed to pull off his sandal, hock a loogie in his face, slap him upside the head, and say, this is the family of the unsandaled. There was great responsibility here. But you know what? There's something about this that's really special too. The love and camaraderie of a family unit working together and caring for the grieving. Yet, there's also this responsibility of, man, not only is she looking at you, but you're telling your brother, not her, not her, not her. I don't want her down the road. So there's this sense of this family decision surfaces out of this. So Ruth is standing there, and Naomi is telling her, he's a close relative. He has responsibility. He's supposed to redeem you. If he's not the closest, then he needs to go find the closest. And if the closest doesn't want to, then he can marry you. And for Naomi, she's saying, this is really good because... Boaz chapter 2 and verse 1 says he was a man of standing. He was a man of integrity. He was a godly man. He was a good catch. Yes, he was older, but he was a good man. Now, a kinsman redeemer not only did that, but their responsibility during this time was to protect the, the, the widow. The kinsman redeemer also had a responsibility to redeem the land that a poor relative had to give up. So in a family setting, if there was a relative of yours that lost their house to foreclosure, if the economy tanked and you lived in Goshen and you lost your job and you couldn't pay your mortgage and you were tried everything you do, your brother-in-law or the closest kinsman redeemer would step in and go to the bank and say, you know what? I'm buying that house back because they're family. There's something beautiful about that. But that's what kinsmen, redeemers did. They would also redeem a relative that had been sold into slavery. So if you had been sold into slavery, they would go to the slave master and they say, no, not my family. In fact, what's it going to cost? I don't care. What's it, $500, $1,000, whatever it costs? I'm buying my family back. And so they would redeem you, buy you back make you part and set you back on level ground. They also had this responsibility, a kinsman redeemer. They had to avenge the killing of a relative. So if in fact in the Old Testament that your husband was killed, this kinsman redeemer, often a brother or closest relative, would hunt him down and avenge the killing something beautiful about all that's taking place or something that's lost in a lot of circles where families support each other and care for each other. And the one another's are fulfilled in a way that's just beautiful. 
The New Testament talks often about doing the one another's, but in the Old Testament, there are some things, even though they had to do it by law and they were, they were obligated to it, there's something beautiful about caring for family. So Naomi's like, I just found out that Boaz is a relative. This is good. And so there's a sense where this, this love story takes a twist, a turn. Naomi, Mara, bitter, down, glass, just empty, is now full of hope. And so she begins to look at Ruth and says, hey, let's do something about this. Now think about this for a second. I've been thinking about this for a few weeks, but let's bring it to what this is, to our modern day. My wife, Anne, obviously is married to me. Her mother-in-law is my mom, Bev Anderson, whose birthday, my mom's birthday is today. She's 73. I wish I could give her a hug. Today's her birthday. But that's my wife, Anne's mother-in-law. My younger brother, Ray, is married to a girl named Dawn. Dawn's mother lives in Ohio. Her mother-in-law is my mom, Bev. So me and my brother have wives. So just picture if you second, take, just make Ruth Ann and make uh, Dawn, make her Orpah. And so they, Ray died, I died. And so the choice was Orpah went a different way. And, and Ruth is saying, I'm going to go live with Jim's mother. Now to think how strange that is. Here's what that means. That meant that Ruth is saying, I'm leaving Everybody that's familiar, my cousins, my aunts, my relatives, my country, my home, my, my high school, the college that I went to, all my friends, and I'm going to move to Hagerstown, Maryland. And Anne's saying, I'm going to go live with Bev, where Jim's aunts and uncles and cousins and his high school and, and, and where his name is known. And I'm going to live with Bev. That's what Ruth is doing here. It's just a beautiful picture of she's just clinging to her, the text says. And Naomi recognizes that. And so there's this sense of this beautiful love that she has for her mother-in-law. Now, the mother-in-law looks at Ruth as a result of this love that she has for her and says, you need to go after this dude called Boaz. He's the nearest relative. He's a good catch. And look what it says again in verse 3. So this is the vice that if my mom was looking at my, my wife, Anne, and saying, hey, Jim is dead, but he's got a close brother. He's got a close relative. Listen, go after him. And look what she says in verse 3 to do. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Here's what she's saying. Hey, get rid of the sweatpants with the holes in them. Don't pull your hair back in a rubber band and a ponytail. Get the grainy smell off of you. Hey, shave your legs and doll up, girl. That's what she's saying here. There's a man laying in the field at the edge of the grain field. He will be able to smell you a few acres away. He's sleeping with smelly, musty men. Look your best. That's what she's telling. That's the Jim Brown version. That's exactly what she's saying here. Do your best to look good for this man. Smell good. Smile. The tone is, is exciting here. It's fun yet serious. But it's a great love story. 
Listen to me. I want to speak to single girls. And there's a a large group here because we have our our college gathering today. Many of you are in the link too. And single again, ladies. I firmly believe, this is what I believe to be true. I firmly believe the man must do the asking when it comes to an interest in a woman. Call me old-fashioned. I don't care. But I believe even when it comes to marrying, that the, the, the headship issue is the man asks the wife to marry him. And I believe that the man is to be the leader. And I believe that he should ask. But I also realize that some men may think that you are out of their league. It's truth. I mean, you might look at a man and you don't realize how insecure he might really be. In fact, if you could get into the mind of men, men are very insecure. But it's also men that are very, very humble. And you might see him and you might think, man, he's out of my league and he would never. But listen to me. It's not always true. There are some really humble guys out there who might be a little shy, who might be, might, maybe they're, they're not bold and out front, but man, they will love you and they love God. And man, they, they're a great catch. So keep those guys in mind. Just because he's not forward enough to push the issue right away, don't turn him away because he might just be a humble, godly man. But listen to me, ladies. If you see a godly man of worth, A man who loves Jesus Christ, who stands for what is good, who trips your trigger when he walks into the room. And you know what I'm talking about. Who is available. And by the way, he's available if he doesn't have a ring on his finger. He's available. And by the way, he's available if he doesn't, if she doesn't have a ring on her finger. Then by all means, make your intentions known. I don't think there's anything wrong with making your intentions known that, hey, I think you're hot. Hey, now here's how you do it. You don't walk up and say, I think you're hot. (laughs) But way too many girls settle in this area because they think, that guy just, I don't know, he's just, maybe he's out of my league. And I I don't think that he's interested in me. What Naomi is saying here, now hear me out. This is good advice from a married man who had a wife that was good at this. What Naomi is saying here to Ruth is, girl, don't chase him down, but get in his way. Get in his way. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. If he plays baseball, then you put your derriere in the stands and you become a baseball fan and you watch him play. Be in the picture. Get in his way. If he's in FCA, you join FCA. If he runs in the park down at Shanklin and you're down at the Benton Spillway and you heard that he's at Shanklin Park, get your cute little dog and run at Shanklin Park. Get in his way. If he comes to the 945 service at Grace Community Church, don't go to the 8 on Easter and don't go to 1130. Who cares what Rich says? Show up at 945. (laughs) Get in his way. If he studies in the library at a certain time, you study in the library at a certain time. Get in his way. If he is a Redskin fan, you get on the Redskin website. You read everything about Redskins. You order the shirt. You get the hat. And you get in his way. And every time you see him, (laughs) get in his way. I'm serious about this. Listen, girls. Listen to me, single again, girls. Single girls. 
You see a man that's worth catching, you do everything you can until he notices you. Now listen, guys, if you see a girl beginning to do this, take your stupid off for crying out loud <laughs> and notice her. So Naomi is saying, she's looking at Ruth. She says, there's Boaz. He's a good man. Girl, get dolled up, smell good, shave your legs, smile, and get in his way. It's a beautiful picture of a love story here. By the way, let me give you some background here why I believe this to be true. Because I think there's many guys that are just humble men who... Who, who, who sometimes don't understand who they are in Christ. And, and, and sometimes they're even, they're looked at as, as maybe even like arrogant when they're not. They just, they're just not pushy. They're just not out there. And so they're just men that, they want someone to get in their way, girls. Hear me. That's what I'm saying. My wife had a friend that I would call Naomi. And I'm glad. Her name was Dawn. And, and, and you've heard me say this, but by the way, it went both ways. My first time on Grace Campus when I came in, she was a transfer student from Michigan State. I came in as an older student. We got in these groups, and you heard me say this, but I saw Ann across campus, and she had an MSU green um, uh, sweatshirt on, and I wanted to have the shirt on that time. I said, thank you, Jesus, and stand beside her. It was just, I mean, the first time I saw Ann, and just being honest, my knees shook. It's like, whoa, wow. And so... She had a friend that was kind of like a Naomi. And she would often, you know, just encourage Ann, you ought to just, you know, won't you be friends with Jim friends? And why don't you show up when he's there? And why don't you just be, get in the way? You know, I was kind of dense probably at first because I had just come off, came off of a, a broken engagement. And it was, it was a difficult time for me. And, and, and it was just, and praise God, by the way. Wow, praise the Lord. <laughs> just, just, um, and so I was kind of dense, you know, just I had to stoop it on for a while, I would call it. And, and so, but I remember one time I had, uh, when I went to Grace, I had a Mazark 7, and I, I lived off campus, and I was out changing the oil. I had to hood up, and I was, I was changing the oil, and I looked up, and I saw there was, there was Ann and Naomi, or Dawn. <laughs> they were walking down the alley, and it's like, hmm, how did she know I lived here? I was thinking, hmm. <laughs> and, and she came walking by. She got in my way. And, and I'll never forget what she said. By the way, I just want to let you know, this, this went both ways. I was just as interested. I'm not like trying to puff me up saying like, like, you know, whatever. But you know what I'm getting at. But Ann told me something later. She says, Jim, she's by the way. By the way, this is why it's good to get in their way. Because she found out things about me she didn't know. She said, when I saw you with oil on your hands changing oil, she said, I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> She might not have said it that way, but that's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> but when she found out that, that, that I, I like to work on cars, and I still do, I like to get my hands dirty, because she, she was born in a family where her father was mechanical and, and, and worked on motorcycles and, and you know, Harleys, and, and, and she came walking down that alley because Dawn was saying, get in his way. And she said, well, I thought you and your hands had oil on them, and you could fix cars. It was like, I was done. <laughs> it's just, so all that to say this, girls, ladies, get in his way. And listen to me, do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. There's nothing wrong with that. 
until he finally gets all the stupid off and says, wow, you just keep showing up everywhere. By the way, work it out this way too, single ladies. Maybe it's a Bible study and you find out he's in a Bible study. Go join that Bible study. But work it out something like this. You know, have your girlfriend take you there and, and ask her, can you leave like 10 minutes before it's over? Why do you want me to leave 10 minutes before? Just, just do it. And realize that you need a ride home. And, and while you're there, you're in his way and, and, and you're standing around and you just go up to him and say, hey, my girlfriend left and can you give me a ride home? This is not rocket science. But make your intentions known. So Ruth is making her intentions known to Boaz. And it's interesting when you think about this. Naomi says, go and uncover his feet. He's laying at the end of a field. It sounds kind of stupid, but there's customs that we have to jump into. They're happening during this time. In fact, in verse 4, look again. Look what she says. She says in verse 4, when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth says. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law said to do. Now, let me explain a little bit about this custom of the day. The blanket during that time is much like the engagement ring or wedding band today. So here's the picture. When a man was sleeping in the field, and by the way, Boaz was sleeping there because he was protecting his grain. The text kind of has this picture. He was down at the end of the grain field. And by the way, another thing, look at the, look at the, the details here. Naomi says, she's a smart woman. She says, wait until he's eaten and he's finished drinking. But listen, because guys are so distracted until they get food in their belly. Just let me listen to me, ladies. That's the truth. So if you're interested, don't go after him when you're like, hey, you want to go out to eat? He is so distracted. He's compartmentalized. He's hungry. You're not going to get his attention. Make sure he's had his wings first, okay? So the picture is, she says, he'll be lying in the field. And so when he's lying in the field, walk over uncover the blanket and make your intentions known and lie down beside him and ask him, hey, my feet are cold. Will you cover them up? That is the picture. By the way, we'll probably have a run at Walmart today. Every guy will have a blanket and sitting everywhere and just girls will be standing around like this. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> but the picture is make your intentions known. Get in the way. She was getting in his way. While all this is going on, a, a, a girl meets man. There's this whole other thing eternally that's taking place too that sometimes we lose sight of. God is behind the scenes working in an unbelievable, beautiful way. More, even bigger than just Ruth and Boaz. He has great intentions for their lives. And listen to me, don't, don't overplay this. When you're in the center of God's will, you might be thinking that, Yes, this is what he wants me to do. But God has already seen your past, present, and future. And the decisions you make today have incredible eternal, eternal ramifications down the road that sometimes you don't see till later. But when you do what God wants you to do, it's amazing what God has in store for you down the road. Our choices can have eternal impact. Every choice we make has consequences. Let me again express how important this choice of marrying the right person is. And by the way, in two weeks, we're going to start a marriage series called Messy Marriage the week after Easter, and we'll talk more about this. But listen to me, ladies. Some of you are settling in this area. 
You think this is your last chance available for the man. And by the way, we have some college students. Some of you are senior girls, and you think, it's almost spring, and I'm getting ready to graduate, and I don't have a man. And you see this dweeb or this dork walk into your life, and you think, yep, that's the one. No, he isn't. You don't have to settle. Listen, just because you don't get married when you graduate, before you graduate, makes you less than the woman. You don't push that issue. You don't take the best option available. You find a man that you're interested in. By the way, I know a guy. (laughs) That's a great guy. Don't give an inch when it comes to choice in your life, when it comes to your mate. Do not ever marry a man who's not more in love with Jesus than he is with you first. Don't do it. I'm just telling you, you will run into trouble. Yes, I know all the stories, and I know that God's grace covers, and there's some beautiful stories, and praise God for that. But listen, if you're right now, and you're thinking about marrying someone, listen to me. Don't marry that man unless he's in love with Jesus Christ. And he loves Jesus more than he loves you. Don't play the evangelism dating game. Like, oh, he has so much charisma and he's such a good guy and he cares for me and he's so nice and he's so kind. And I know when we get married, he'll start coming to church every Sunday because he doesn't come now, but I know he'll feel obligated and I know he'll get saved. Listen to me, don't play with fire. Pray for him, but don't marry him. Ladies, don't ever date a man who pushes you for sex either. Don't ever believe the lie that if you do not sleep with him, then you will lose him. Listen to me. If you have a man like that, you give him a good kick in the butt and say, get out of here. Ladies, your beauty should never be wrapped in a man, period. But your identity is in Jesus Christ. Be confident in that. You've heard me say this, but the king is enthralled with your beauty. He he just is. And listen to me. If you are in a relationship right now where, where this supposedly godly man is pushing you for sex, get out and run as fast as you can. If you're living with a man and somehow believe that he's giving you, he's twisting scripture and saying, well, we're married under God. Oh, baloney. Run, get out. Call your mom, your father, your friend, someone at Grace, and say, I need a place to stay. You know what that man is doing? He is with you because he wants to have sex with you. You're believing a lie otherwise. Get out of this relationship immediately. You know what he's doing? You know what this guy is literally doing? He is prostituting you. That's what he's doing. Ladies, don't let a man prostitute you. That's what he's doing. Yes, I said that. If you're sleeping with anyone else besides your own husband, then you are selling out. No woman of God needs to stoop that low. Do you believe that, by the way? No woman needs to. College girls and and single ladies, there are godly men out there who will cherish you. They will love you and respect you. And, And seriously, and one day they will knock sex out of the park with you in the context of marriage but not before then. Don't settle for anything less than what Christ calls for believers to do. See, here's what's happening. Because of this, sex has become a dirty, nasty, violent, wrong thing. So we say, save it for the one you love. Like, well, great. 
Here, let's have sex that's dirty, violent, and nasty. No. It's supposed to be beautiful and glorious and a worshipful act before our God. It's where two people who love Jesus Christ come together and consummate this love that they have. And it is glorious in the context of marriage. And it is awesome. Christian men, let me talk to you. If you're one of those men that's pushing someone for sex and you're just kind of like a controller or a manipulator or you're like, well, we can't make our bills unless we sleep together and live together, you're a big fat liar. And you're listening to Satan and you're not listening to God. Repent, back off, ask for forgiveness, and maybe just completely pull out of this relationship for a period of time. Do what Christ wants you to do. That's what men of God do, nothing more Nothing less, they do what's right. Got awful quiet in here. You see, I think marriage should be a tremendous, beautiful thing before God. Where men cherish and respect and love women. What the world needs more than anything is a wave of purity from godly men and women. I thought I was finished, but I'm not. I want to say one more thing. If you have a man like I'm referring to, ladies, and he's sitting by you today, then do what's right. Tell him to get out. Tell him you refuse to be a disgrace to the Savior who gave us life and shed blood on the cross. Tell him that as a Christ follower, you carry the name of Jesus Christ and you carry it high and Christ followers don't sleep together. And men, some of you are so ticked at me right now because I called your sorry butt out, but I don't care. I'm not afraid of you. You're a coward to rob a woman of her purity. You are a coward. That's what you are. You're a coward. Man up and repent. Am I right about this, Christians? Keep in mind the odds of this encounter here, by the way. Moab women don't generally marry Hebrew Yahweh followers by chance in a grain field. This encounter will change eternity. In chapter 7, look what Ruth decides to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. And he says this, who are you? I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman, redeemer. This was a bold move. This was a risk-filled move. Listen to me, ladies. Some of you are single. Sometimes you just got to go for it. If you see a man and you've been praying and it's like, man, that guy is the guy. And, and you feel like you've talked to people and you connect and you've been to all his ball games and you've been to all the Bible studies and you laugh at all the same jokes and he's hungry after God. There finally comes a time when you just say, I got to do something about this. 
So this is a bold move. And so Boaz wakes up from a deep sleep. At the bottom of his feet is this stunning, beautiful woman saying, hey, can I have your cover on my feet too? And what that means is I am interested in you and, 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 and marriage is something that I'm interested in. Think about this for a second, what's going on here. Seriously, dudes, consider the moment from a human perspective. He must have thought this was a dream. I mean, he went to bed thinking about grain stalks and he woke up and there's this gorgeous daughter woman that's smelling good at the base of his feet saying, I like you so much and I love you that I'm interested in marriage. And so look what he says in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter. You bet he said that. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble what? It's a beautiful picture of, of what it should look like. Let me just say this, man, man, again. Single men who love Jesus Christ. If a woman is getting in your way, this is your time to, to just open your mouth and follow through. I realize that some men are pretty dense, but if a woman walks into your peripheral vision, guys, and you are attracted to her and she continues to show up, listen, say something. So what is Ruth doing here? By the way, some commentators, they, they want to take this in a wrong way and say that she's asking him to sleep. No, Ruth is a woman of integrity. And, and Ruth isn't breaking the custom here by proposing to him. But let me tell you what she is doing. She is not proposing, but she is proposing that he propose to her. That's what she's saying here. She's saying, I'm not asking, but listen, do, do some asking. Let's hook up. Let's get married. You know, with all the doom and gloom that's in our world regarding marriages, I get tired of hearing about the 60% divorce rate. Let's talk about the 40% that do it well, okay? Listen, there, there, there's, there's some people out here that, that really love Jesus Christ. And, and, and singles, don't look at those numbers. It is possible to be madly in love and... and and to grow deeper in love. And, and, and that marriage is, is something that's just, there are moments that I have with my wife, Anne, that are better than the first time I saw her on Grace Campus. I was at the beach this week, and, or last week, and we were down watching Josh play baseball. We went to Fort Myers Beach for a couple of days, and, and Grace was playing college baseball, so we went down to spring break. And, and, and I was seated near the shoreline, and, 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 and there was this, it must, they must have been 80 years old. This couple that came walking by, and it was in the middle of the afternoon, and he had a hold of her hand, and she had his hand, and they were smiling, and they were just talking, and it's like there was no one else in the picture, and they were just in their own little world, and they had wedding bands on, and I say, that's what it's supposed to look like. Let me tell you something, married couples. Young Couples are looking for some godly examples where husbands and wives love Jesus, love each other, and knock sex out of the park. They're looking for that. And by the way, it is still possible to be 50 years old and have all those. 
Thank you. I love my wife, Ann Catherine Bortner, MSU, Michigan State. Get in my way, Ann. She's a breath of fresh air every morning. She makes me stronger. And I want to fight for her beauty and her reputation. And I love the kids that we've created. Marriage is better than it's ever been. Is it messy at times? Absolutely. Do we have arguments? Holy cow, it's me. (laughs) Do we still love each other? You bet. But when we walk through some challenging times, it's just good. Boaz says to, to Ruth, you can trust me. It's the same thing that God says to us. You can trust me. He's our kinsman redeemer. Boaz is going to act like a a redeemer to Ruth. Guys and women, look what kind of match is being made here. We already know because Boaz says this about her. He says this, he says, all my fellow townsmen in verse 11 know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I'm near of kin, there's a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good. Let him redeem. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. It's this picture of this noble Proverbs 31 woman. And it's this picture of this man of standing in chapter 2 and verse 1. Noble and noble. God lovers. Plus, plus. Man plus woman equals successful in God's eyes. And Boaz makes his attentions clear. And he says, girl, I'm going to take care of this. He also wants to preserve her purity and her reputation. We need some more men that are willing to do that instead of sleeping around before you get married. Why? Because he didn't want stories to circulate that she was there for the evening. So he says, wait till the morning. And you know why he said wait till the morning? Because he didn't want someone to see her sneaking through the night trying to get back to her home and people thinking, oh, she must have been out sleeping around. No, he valued her reputation and her character and he didn't take it away. He built upon it and protected it. And that's what men of God are supposed to do for their wives. And so Ruth leaves early in the morning and he goes beyond his obligation. Some like to look at this text and they're totally wrong about this and say, well, the only reason he married her because he was the kinsman redeemer and it was obligation. Oh, baloney. You know why I know that to be true? Look at verse 16, 15 and 16. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of what? What is it? And put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she asked, how did it go? And I want to say, duh, can't you see the barley? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. Guys, we can learn from this situation too. Listen, not only is Boaz going to take care of Ruth, but look, he wants to impress the mother-in-law too. This is a win-win situation. So she's going home with the shawl full of barley, and she's looking, wow, he wants to redeem you. Not only did he have her best interests in mind, 
but all godly men want to keep the family's best interests in mind. They fight for the reputation. It's obvious here that he loves her, and he goes beyond the obligation of the law, and he extends grace just like God does. He's the redeemer. He continues to give us more than we deserve. He continues to forgive us. He continues to give us more. He continues to be our redeemer, and praise God for that. Then it says this in closing. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. You see, Naomi has been around the block a few times. And when she sees a girl coming home with a shawl full of barley, she knows this man wants her and he will not rest. This one decision would not only change Ruth and Boaz's life, but this one obedient step could impact the generations to come. And let me show you what's going on. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Please, first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. At the top of Matthew chapter 1, you have a heading in your Bible, and it says the genealogy of whom? Jesus. So this is like, it's called the line of Jesus Christ. This is like your, your genealogy chart. Look at this genealogy chart. We'll begin with verse 4. Ram, the father of Amandab. Amandab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of whom? Boaz, whose mother was whom? Rahab the what? Harlot. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was whom? And you come to the end of this list. Look, look on with me. Look what it says in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born whom? Jesus, who is called the Christ. From the very line of Ruth and Boaz is the Messiah. I often wonder what might have happened if Ruth wasn't obedient and Boaz wasn't obedient. This whole genealogy chart would have changed. And in the midst of this, I want to remind you of this beautiful story of redemption. Look back at verse 5 again. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. God restored and redeemed the prostitute and put her in the line of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Listen to me today. Gracies, do what's right. When it comes to choosing a mate, please don't settle. I, I can't stress. Listen, if you're having second doubts in this relationship that you're in and you're not married yet, back off, pull away. This might not be the man or woman for you. And if you see someone that, girls, listen to me, if you see someone that's a good catch that loves Jesus Christ, get in his way and follow hard after God. Jesus, help us today. It's a beautiful love story here today. It's two people who are listening to you. And Lord, because they did, you had more in store than just a marriage.
You had the line of Jesus Christ set up. Oh, God, help us not to shortchange what you want out of us for the generations to come because of sinful decisions. Help us to hear your voice, whether we turn to the left or right. Help us to know when you say, this is the way, walk in it. Help us to walk in that way, even if it means we have to retreat where we're at right now. And God, I pray for great wisdom for singles in this room. I pray, Lord, that they won't settle. I pray, God, they would follow hard after you and that they would find a man or a woman of noble character that they are attracted to, that they are connected with, and that they would mesh together. And that would be the process in which marriage begins. And Lord, I pray for all the other relationships in this room that are married, all the couples that are married. Help us to work hard at it. Help us to return the magic of this moment, the love that's pictured here. Help us to fight hard for spontaneity and help us to retreat from our sinful ways and maybe restore the beauty of this marriage and the feelings that we had when we first met. God, may Grace Community be known as a place where marriages flourish and we set the example with the 40% and the generations come say, that's what I want. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. This story is a love story. It really is. And plain and simple, it's a beautiful love story. I want you to come back next week because it has a magical ending. And I encourage you, Get rid of your prune face marriages. Put some love and joy back in them and work hard at restoring what is something special, genuine love for God and for each other. Marriages are meant for so much more. See you next week. God bless you.